All right, it is rocking and rolling. So, Richard, I do see that you are surrounded by little cool pieces of wood. Can you please tell us about this? Well, there's not really a fun story behind that other than it came with the office, but every time we're doing a conference call or having a meeting in this room with a, a vendor or somebody from outside the office, that's the first thing they comment on, how cool this wall is. Yeah. Uh, it is a little bit of a taste of home for me for California, so, you know, really yeah. tonight. The wood pieces uh, actually look like little Pac-Men. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was exactly what I said when I first came on. I was like, I would love to see some Pac-Men up there. Well, here's the deal is that today we're not talking about Pac-Men, but we're talking about the journey. If these two gentlemen were the Pac-Man or if you were a Pac-Woman, how you're going to go out there and mom, 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 all of the little dots that are your marketing journey. Now here on the Scale Up Valley podcast, we have heroes within the game who are living, breathing the startup experience, but on a scaled platform. They are scale-ups. That means they are running into the problems of scale. And that is what we're going to dive into, in particular, the marketer's journey. Now, my name is Ryan Fullen. I'm a keynote speaker. Uh, if I were Pac-Man, what I would eat are ghosts that are all about complexity because I want to eat the complexity and I want to turn things into simplicity. So I'm going to pass the buck here over to Dave. He's going to run the show. I'm going to be drawing in the background, and I might chirp in with a question or two, and I'll wrap it all up at the end. To catch other of these episodes, you can go to scaleupvalley.com. And here we go. Uh, let's pretend my Pac-Man died. Dave, you have a free life. You're up. Okay. I, I always preferred Miss Pac-Man over Pac-Man. Yes. I always thought it was a better game. Um, thanks, Ryan. Uh, we've got a great, uh, great show for everybody today. Uh, we've got Richard Carrion from uh, Pebble Post, and we've got David Gerhard from uh, Drift.com. Uh, I am Dave Dubois. I am the VP of Marketing at Agora.io. Uh, we are a real-time uh, engagement uh, company that works in peer-to-peer -peer video uh, and interactive broadcasting. Uh, no, no shameless plug. Uh, really looking forward to um, today's uh, today's discussion about a marketer's journey to scaling. Um, we're going to start by kicking it off and, and sending it over to uh, Richard for uh, just a brief background uh, on yourself and your company and a little bit of information about your marketing organization as it stands today. Richard, go ahead and take it away. Of course. Uh, thanks. Uh, my name is Richard Carrion. I am the Director of Corporate Marketing here at Pebble Post. Um, and just a little bit about Pebble Post, what we do, well, we work with digital marketers in the direct, that work with direct-to-consumer brands. Uh, and what we do for those brands is we capture online interest and intent data uh, to send relevant direct mail uh, to those homes and activate buying decisions at home. Uh, and ultimately, it drives conversions everywhere for those marketers. And so we've been doing that for the last four years. Uh, and we've seen a lot of success with it and people are very excited about that. Now, to shift over to the internal marketing team, we have about five folks in the team. We're a very small team. However, we are very aware of what our impact is at every stage of the funnel uh, and have communicated that internally across the entire organization. So one, we're accountable, but two, everyone understands what everyone's focus is and how they drive bottom line revenue or revenue in general. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and kick it over to uh, David Gerhard um, from Drift.com. 
Hi, I'm David Gerhardt. Um, you can call me Dave, Dave Gerhardt from Drift, um, VP of Marketing. Uh, Drift is the, a leading the leading conversational marketing platform. And, and what we do is we connect uh, your future customers with your sales team now while they're on your website, unlike most B2B marketing, which is go to the website, fill out a form, and somebody will follow up with you later. And it takes days, weeks, and months. Isn't a super frustrating sales cycle. So um, we can help remove the friction from, from your sales and, and uh, marketing process. Uh, there's over 150,000 businesses using Drift today, and, and we've become one of the fastest growing companies in the world over the last couple of years. Uh, there's about 15, 18 people on the marketing team uh, at Drift. We're headquartered in Boston, but we have an office in San Francisco and, and Seattle. Fantastic. Plus, uh, I love your uh, picture behind you. Uh, looks like we've got a little, uh, a little Marvel action, Captain America going. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, where Captain America is at, but uh, it's possible he's back here. Somewhere, so. <laughs> You've got the power of Marvel behind you. Um, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, at, at Agora, it, it's interesting when, uh, when I started um, working with the company, which is about a year and a half ago, uh, we were, uh, we were about, I'd, I'd say, uh, I, I like to say two and a half employees on the marketing side. Um, and, and to this point, we've, um, uh, we've actually scaled up to about 16 and a half uh, marketers now globally. Um, and, and the company is, is growing pretty, pretty rapidly as well. Um, so some, some interesting things happen along the way uh, when you're actually you know, starting to scale your marketing organization. And I think one of the, um, uh, one of the questions that, you know, Dave, I want to start with you, and I'm with you, I'm not David, I'm Dave too. Uh, what, what, when, one of the you know, things I think um, you know, is really sort of interesting is you know, when you were starting your, um, your organization, what, when did you have that, that sort of aha moment where you actually realized you had actually figured out, um, you know, finally what the secret sauce is for your, for your marketing programs? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we still I don't think we have it. I think it's a trick question because I think I think that um, I think that anytime you think you have it figured out in marketing, then that means somebody the competition or somebody else in your industry is going to figure out the next play. And so we've just been we've just had this uh, sense of urgency that I haven't seen at any other company, which is. You know, I think that I, I only get excited about ideas that we have when somebody else copies them and then does them. And then I think that's, that's the bar for us. And especially today in marketing, you know, I think it's such a copycat industry that, that it's just all noise, right? If, if on this, if on this webinar today, if on this podcast, we, we said that, Hey, we have this new study and uh, we found that uh, the best time to send the marketing email is at two o'clock on a Tuesday. I think that most people in marketing would then go take that advice and then go do it. And then I think our philosophy, so really our only secret sauce at Drift to go back and actually answer your question versus avoiding it is I actually think the only secret that we have is not specifically a tactic or a channel, but it's, it's been always just trying to figure out how can we go where people aren't. Uh, so I would send an email Saturday night and, and a traditional person would say, whoa, 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 Dave, we sell to B2B, Mark, we sell to B2B, we sell to the enterprise. I'm like, but those are people who are all glued to their phones 24 seven. They're still going to get right. those emails on Saturday night. But ultimately the, the number one thing for us has been brand. Um, we we've invested heavily in brand. And, and I think the biggest difference is brand is not, I think people mistake brand for, well, brand is your logos and how your website looks. And I need a designer brand is, is a, is a, is how people feel about us. And the way that we've been able to do that is through 
content, our video, podcasts, emails, the way that we write. And so the biggest mission that I got from our CEO, uh, David, at the beginning of, of Drift was, look, we got to build a brand. We got to stand out by getting people to like us without ever even knowing or caring what our product does because there's too much noise. There's too much competition today. And if you look at the competitors in the market, you know, 99% of the features are the same. What we're going to win on is brand. And so that's been the number one channel for us since the beginning. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's so true. Uh, every, everything is said is is spot on. Uh, it's it's funny. I started off in uh, email marketing, and so we were we were building um, ESPs, and so our clients used to come to us and they say, "Okay, well, Dave, when's the best time to send an email?" So we so we all used to everybody in the industry used to say used to say 10 a.m. Monday morning. You know, catch catch them right after they've had that first cup of coffee, and then and then like 24 months later, it was Tuesday afternoons. And then it was, and then it was Wednesday mornings, and and eventually we moved to Saturdays, um, as as you pointed out. Yeah. So one one uh, one one, uh, one joke that I use, uh, I'll give you my jokes. One joke that I use in all my decks is like, um, I, I have this slide that shows the growth of marketing channels over time and how. You know, in, in like 98, 97, 98, there was really only two marketing channels. There was email and word of mouth. And then today there's, you know, 90 million of them. And I always say, like, imagine being that first company who did email marketing. They probably got 90% open rates and 80% click rates. And and today, like our market, if we get an 18% open rate, everybody's high five in. We're taking the rest of the day off. It's just, it's gotten so hard, so hard to compete because there's so many channels. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And um, uh, the the brand portion of what you said as well, I, I think you know just uh, just makes a makes a lot of sense. One one of the things that we we sort of work on is you know different verticals that we target, and the way we target those verticals is different. And the brand that we we ultimately build is a single brand, uh, but in those specific verticals, um, the way the brand is perceived is different. Um, and so for us, um, you know, we're in social, we're in gaming, uh, we're in retail and we're in, uh, broadcasting and those verticals all sort of have different, uh, sort of, sort of takes on them. So Richard man with Pac-Man behind you, um, give us, a give us a, a little bit of information uh, or expand on it on, uh, what your journey has been like. And if you've actually had that sort of aha, sort of a marketing mix moment. Yeah, I mean, just to, to, to exactly what you said, Dave, I mean, it's around brand. It's, it's super important, the very, very cluttered space. Um, and for myself, my journey here at Pebble Post, I mean, it just started five months ago. And, and in those five months, uh, we really looked at the foundations of our marketing team. We really evaluated, okay, we, we should definitely reset our event strategy. You know, one of the challenges uh, in the market, and you guys know this firsthand, is it is very expensive to pay to play. Um, and it, it, it's, it's so expensive. Second is uh, investing in original research. Uh, and third has been a really about reevaluating re who our target customer is. Um, you know, as companies grow and the revenue teams grow, they start going after a lot of people. But what we found was like, we really need to double down and really focus on a specific segment, uh, which expanded into a whole series of other exercises. So persona building, segmentation building, uh, brand strategy, as well as a revenue strategy, uh, and really building those foundations and then taking that to the actual uh, leads of different departments, selling them on those on those uh, strategies, getting their buy-in, and then having a really tight partnership there. Uh, we saw a lot of success recently, just the last month. So we launched our first original research study with Murphy Research, uh, led by Deborah Rogers. Um, Google uses her, her consumer insight research uh, called the Zero Moment of Truth. Um, and so what she was able to help us do is uh, validate direct mail as a channel, as still a relevant channel, 
and, and the value of the home and uh, the important role that it plays in purchase decisions. Um, and so with just that one piece of research, we launched our first integrated marketing campaign, which spanned through press, through content, through email, web, and when I say web, like our website, some SEO, every single channel you can think of to build a real true campaign. And we saw a lot of success in that because one, all the inbound leads that we're getting fit our ICP very well. So that means that our outbound or in terms of our, our native advertising is working very well. Um, and the inbound that was coming in, they were very interested in the product, but also had a lot to talk about in terms of our research. So we knew our research was working and that's when we had an aha moment. And just last week we hosted our first owned uh, event, which aligns with our reset of our event strategy. And we've got so much positive feedback from the prospects that were there, the clients that were there. Uh, and now we're just sitting back, hanging tight to see what the return is on all those investments. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the term zero moment of truth. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that with my kids uh, <laughs> <laughs> to see see where that uh, see where that takes us. Um, so I know you've been at the uh, you know at your company for about five months so far, um, and I'm I'm kind of curious. You know what were um, what were some of the you know key roles that you you hired for when you got there? Um, I look uh, uh, I've uh, I think we've all been there where we've been in the first five six months of a new gig. And then, um, you know, what you do then is different than what you do, you know, 16 months in. Um, but would love to know sort of what are some of the key roles that you hired for sort of immediately and then um, and then shamelessly plug what you're looking for in the future. Yeah, that's a good question. So I wouldn't even say hire, to be quite frank, but really reevaluating where everyone's focus was. So the two focuses were around content and digital marketing. Those are very cost effective roles. Um, and getting the brand out there. With digital marketing, it was more of a blended role of ops and general out, uh, native advertising. Uh, and then with the content, that individual owns PR, research, and content. Uh, so those were the two key roles because those were very cost-effective. Uh, and then in terms of the attitude that I was really looking for is somebody who was very positive, uh, people that were interested in learning and knowing what's on the cutting edge. So for example, one of the initiatives, and Dave, you'll probably appreciate this, is we want to leave the form way or leave, lead, uh, leave essentially the forms, get rid of those and go a chatbot based uh, way. I, I've experienced a chatbot experience with um, signing up for webinars and it's been actually quite a pleasurable experience. So those new things that not a lot of people are doing just quite yet, but are up and coming is one of the areas that I really want our teams to be focused on being 10 feet ahead of the competition, actually 10 miles ahead of the competition. Um, and again, as I said, content and as a digital content and digital marketers are the two key roles that I was looking for when I got here. Gotcha. Um, uh, in, in the old days, we used to call those people writers, um, <laughs> but 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 now they're you know they're content uh, content strategists and and comms uh, you know variations of comms people. Uh, what about you, Mr. Gerhard? It was so long ago, I forgot the initial question. <laughs> So what uh, what kind of uh, key roles uh, did you hire for uh, when you when you joined, and then um, sort of what are you planning to to hire for in the future? So the the, the key roles that we hire, I think I think we did it the right way. I mean, I, I don't I'm just making this up because it's it's kind of revisionist history and things are working. But I think what what was interesting about the way that we did it is basically they hired me as the first full time marketer and said do everything. 
uh, and then figure out what we need to double down on. And, and, I, and I, I'm sharing that advice because I actually think it's one of the biggest mistakes that early stage companies make is they try to hire without knowing a specific, unless you know a specific channel that's already working or you've been working with an agency and they've been doing this. I think what, what they did at Drift is hired me to say, you know, create, you know, write, blog, make videos, do a podcast, run, test ads, do events, do webinars in the first year to figure out what was working and then place bets on hiring. Because I think the biggest mistake companies make is in, in, in hiring marketers, especially the early stage marketers is you hire people when you don't really know if things work yet. And so if you don't even know the channel works yet, then you're going to hire somebody into that channel. Then you're, you might end up firing that person in three months because it doesn't work. Right. And so um, I think what we did was interesting, which I was the first video guy. I was the first SEO guy. I was the first events guy. I was the first writer. And then we really quickly learned that, Oh, people really like our content. Okay. So the first person that, that we hired, it was just me for probably the first six to eight months. And then the first person that we hired was a writer. Okay. Then he could take all the writing that I was doing and, then, and he's much better at writing than me and can go deep on that channel. Then we realized, okay, the next thing people want is video. We want to add video. So we hired a video person and then kind of keep figuring out like the playbook there and, and kind of use this approach where, you know, early stage marketer, even if you come in at the, at the VP level, you, you better do the work, right? You got to roll up your sleeves and actually do the work in the early days and, and ultimately scale up. And so I think that was one of the, one of the ways that we grew the team, which is we have this model of like, do the work first, prove out that there might be something there. Can you test it with a contractor or an agency or a freelancer first? And then we figure out how we can bring that in-house and, and scale it. Yeah, <clears throat> totally agree. I mean, I think that's the uh, sort of the modern day way of, um, of scaling a marketing organization. Um, it's, it's funny, you know, cause like, I, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I found myself editing videos. I, I shouldn't be editing videos, um, but 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 I have some video editing skills from like the '90s. Um, so I, you know, everything from writing to running uh, ad campaigns to building banner ads to changing web pages. Um, you know, I think I've done everything in the last 16 months at Agora as we've kind of gone through the process of ramping, of ramping up the organization. Um, so it's, it's really nice. I no longer have to uh, uh, do anything on a website anymore. I no longer have to write a press release. I just have to edit them. Um, uh, you know, I no longer have to uh, edit video. I just write as, you know, help out with the storyline. Um, so in scaling our organization, it's, it's been uh, really sort of, um, you know, making sure that you have um, somebody that came in and acted as a generalist. And, and one of the things that I did was I brought in uh, two other generalists as well, just because we started scaling so fast. Um, and, um, and that really, you know, sort of, uh, sort of helped us out. What, what kind of like, um, Dave, what, what kind of like internal challenges have you had in, in trying to get, um, get more money <laughs> to scale your organization? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually think I think money can be money can be a problem where I think mar I think budget for marketers can be a crutch. And I think that there's so many marketers that and, and I, I understand, right? The first question you ask is what's the budget? What's the timeline? Right. But I actually kind of think that's kind of a cop out because I, I think I could do a lot of damage with no budget. And so I, I actually think that budget budget forces having no budget, whether you have it or not. Like when I joined Drift, we had $15 million in the bank, but I couldn't spend a dollar of it on marketing, which is like on the outside, people are like, well, you had a ton of budget. No, I didn't get to use any of that. That was, that was all for later. And yeah. so, so I think that the challenge was 
you know, I had the constraint of budget was no budget was a constraint that forced me to be more creative and forced me to figure things out. And then, and then asking for money became easy because in all those cases I had almost proven out what worked right. Or what was working. And so then you're asking to fund something that, you know, already exists versus saying like, Hey, we've never done SEM. I need a hundred grand to, to spend on SEM this quarter. They'd be like, wait, what? Where if I said, Hey, I use that $500 AdWords credit that I got from Google for free. And I got a 60% conversion rate on this. Like, I, you know, can I get 10 grand for this month to test this? Like there's always a way to like work your way into that. So I've tried to never let, never let budget be, be an excuse. Obviously there is a, there is a point in scaling where budget, you know, does make a difference, but I especially think that in early stage companies, like budget is not going to be the differentiator. And, and so uh, if you're, if you're complaining about the lack of budget being the thing that's helped that preventing you from getting leads and traffic and traction, like, I think that's kind of a, a BS uh, excuse. And so I, I didn't even have a defined budget for the first probably two years, two years at drift, to be honest, it was, the, you know, yeah. David, our, my, my boss, our CEO would always say to me, come on, man, you'd be like, there's $15 million in the bank. Like, what do you need it for? And what do you what are we going to get out of it? And so uh, I learned that lesson from him, which is whenever you ask him for the budget, he never sets it. It's like, it's like you ever bring on like a new freelancer or, you know, somebody's doing a project for your house and they're like, well, the first question they ask you as the service provider is, well, what's your budget? I'm like, I'm never going to tell you what my budget is. Cause if I tell you what my budget is, <laughs> If I tell you my budget was 50 grand and you were going to only charge 10, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, it's okay. Shit, we're too low. So I think as a CEO, David actually told me like there's unlimited budget. And that actually was harder because then I had to actually justify, here's what I want to to do with this versus having say like, you know, his whole point was if I told you your budget was 10 grand a month, then you're just going to spend it at 10 grand. Yeah. You know, proof is in the pudding is, is, uh, is, is always a, you know, an important, uh, important program to sort of run, you know, go, go test this out, make it work and then come back and, and ask for more and ask for more money. I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, organizations often, you know, just, you know, forget that. And, uh, they, they just take the money that they have and they, uh, they have to spend it. Um, we, we had a budget and I spent maybe a quarter of what our budget was during the first, uh, six months that we were, uh, I was running our organization for that reason. Like we don't want to, uh, we don't want to blow, uh, blow money on something that we don't know is working until we know it's working. And then we'll, and then we'll sort of double down, uh, double down on it. Um, Dave, you said so many great things there uh, that we could go on for hours. Rich, um, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you. What, uh, what kind of, uh, internal challenges have you had just sort of related to, uh, growing your organization and we were touching on budget, but feel free to drift yeah. in different directions. Yeah. Budget's always interesting. And I agree with you hundred percent. That's why I said content and a digital yeah. marketer, you don't have to invest a whole lot. I mean, AdWords is pretty cheap. Um, yeah, display ads are pretty inexpensive. Uh, I mean, for pretty big campaign, we were able to keep it under a couple grand and knew it was working and saw all those conversions come through. Um, but to expand on it, more of, more of the internal challenge I had was more of a buy-in across the organization. So when I came on board, we were one singular marketing function. It wasn't a separation of product marketing and corporate marketing, also known as brand marketing for other organizations. And so it was really defining what is the purpose of corporate marketing and what is the purpose of product marketing and then evangelizing that across the entire organization. Um, and then second, there wasn't really a strategy in place when we got here. Uh, it was more of just one-offs like, oh, we need to put this out because we want to do a blog or oh, we're going to do this, this event because we want our sellers out there. Nothing that was really truly integrated. Um, and so we built out a strategy and a planned 
pitch that to every department, show how it helped and drive, drove revenue for them or will drive revenue for them. And essentially evangelize that consistently across the entire organization through our all hands um, and align it back to what our strategy was and then start launching campaigns and explain how that connects back to that. So that was our biggest challenge internally uh, was essentially buy-in. We got buy-in right before the holiday season and that meant that the team could get to work <laughs> right during the holidays, uh, which made it kind of a little bit of a challenge, but we were able to double down, focus on uh, the plan and launch our first research study, which again, I keep talking about, but it's our first huge milestone uh, that we've reached as a team here. Um, and then that goes into external, which does connect to the research to a certain extent. And we're like, okay, we wanna get this research out in front of the right people. Uh, but a lot of vendors are coming to us and saying, you gotta give us 15 grand to, to, to get in front of our people here. And it's like, well, how about this? We'll host our own stuff, have our own dinners, spend maybe a third of that and have it be way more impactful than just speaking to a crowd that's on their phones at a conference. Um, and so those have been the two challenges, especially with a smaller marketing budget. Um, it's doubling down on what works and figuring out what works. And we know we might fail in certain areas. Like we know that firsthand. Uh, but I guess, as you probably know, and you probably promote in your teams is fail fast and iterate quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, actually, uh, too many people don't know that they've failed. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, one of the big things with um, uh, with with marketing organizations and then especially larger organizations, they get into sort of, uh, you know, a budget protection. And uh, so they don't admit that uh, that something's not working in order to um, protect their budget. And ultimately for a startup. Uh, and for a company that's scaling rapidly, like um, like all three of our companies, that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, you ultimately, you know, are, are really in the business of um, of growing your business rapidly. Um, Richard, I gotta know um, uh, from a project management standpoint, um, what um, what do you do? How how are you managing your? Uh, and this is sort of the 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 boring question that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, when we talk about scaling, uh, scaling a, an organization, but it is an extremely important question, which is about project management and how do you manage the uh, the chaos of all the requests uh, that that come into your organization. So let's start with the people part. Uh, every person on the team owns a channel, communication channel of some type. So events, research content, PR, creative, everything digital, um, and then we use tools that you're probably familiar with, such as Asana. Uh, we break those up into their core communication channels and then we create campaigns that we might be focusing on. Um, and then from a higher level strategic perspective, I use an app called TeamWeek, which allows me just pretty much everything, puts everything into a Gantt chart. And so allows me to see all the alignment across all of our communication channels, see if there's any overlap, see if we need to shift anything. Um, and then I let every person on the team own that project. If, if somebody's owning the research study, they are going to be the ones to assign, um, come up with the plan. I will work with them and coach them on the plan, uh, but they're really that point of contact for that project. Got it. All right, Dave, now, now that your organization's um, significantly bigger than it was before when it was just you, I feel bad for you uh, when you were doing everything. Um, how are you managing the chaos, man? The chaos of the team? Yeah. I think there's a... I mean, there, there's so many different ways. We have a bunch of like rituals that we've kind of built in, in into Drift, like um, just me, like 
rituals, meaning like, you know, stand up meetings and, and meetings and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, one of the biggest ways is we have this, uh, we're very transparent about showing our work. And so the marketing Slack channel is super busy and we, we share, everybody kind of shares like each morning they share, Hey, here's what I'm working on today. And you share kind of three or four of the big things that you're going to do that day. Uh, but then also we share work as it's happening. And so I think that's the biggest difference is like most marketing teams, they do this, this big reveal, which is like, Hey guys, you know, designers like, Hey, this week I'm working on the new, you know, uh, landing page for, for blank. And then on Friday they show back up and they're like, and here it is. And, and someone blows it up and it like, you know, hurts that person's feelings. It's like, you know, it's, it, you got to redo the work. Now we've wasted five days doing it. And so whether you're making video, so the, the whole mindset is like, if, let's say you're a video person, you're working on a 30 minute video. Don't share the 30 minute video, share like the seven minutes that you already have edited today show your work. And so it, we just believe that marketing is this momentum game and, and you got to always be sharing that stuff. And so for example, like I, I took a screenshot during this right now and, and just said like, Hey, showing I'm on this you know podcast interview right now. And, or uh, if I'm writing a, a 3000 word blog post, I might take a screenshot of the headline and the hook just to show people like, here's what I'm working on today. So that has kind of kept everybody in the loop. We also have a, 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 a very strong culture of feedback. And I think feedback is something that everybody you know, everybody says that that can take feedback, but most companies, here's how they give you feedback. Hey, Dave, you're really good host of that webinar. You really were. It was so good. It was totally great. But you know, the thing you did at the end, I really didn't like that. And that's just, to me, that's just bullshit, right? Right. You're just, you're just couching the actual feedback where we just give very direct, real and open feedback. Um, we've learned a lot from, um, from, uh, Kim Scott's book, radical candor, which is just like, just say what's on your mind. And, and ultimately it might sting. Uh, but what there's a, there's a great, you know, I, I think there, I'm trying to blank on the quote, but, um, the risk, there's a copywriter, Roy Williams, and he has a great quote. He says, the risk of insult is the price of clarity. And I couldn't agree more with a feedback perspective. And so if, if, if there's something you know, off about the video, then we share it. If you don't like the thing that I wrote, we share it. And I think that helps us because we're all in this together. We're all trying to make each other better. So um, honestly, it's, it's people talking and communicating is the, is the only cure for a lot of the, the, the stuff and, and being on the same page. On top of that, we just try to have a level of extreme ownership around anything in marketing. Hey, if you got hired to do video, we trust you, you own it. You got to own it top to bottom. You're expected to deliver. You're expected to show it, whether it's working or not. If you, you know, same thing down, down every position in, in the team. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I think being um, uh, just upfront with people, you know, when you, when you, you show them something and they, you, I, I can always tell whether or not somebody's being honest or holding back. And, and um, especially with like a young organization, sometimes like the, like the process for the expectation of what you expect from them um, and how you expect them to uh, speak to you doesn't, doesn't come through. We, we do something that's kind of interesting, which I haven't done before, uh, whereas um, like we have so much stuff going on from, um, you know, corporate presentations to events at this point. Like we, we literally have a different event every week now um to all of the social media uh, stuff that's going on and email campaigns and all of that that we actually send out a um an email to our entire team every day at the end of the day saying hey look here's here's the uh here's the three or four things that got done today here's the the two or three things that we're currently working on and we give people the chance to give us feedback on a daily basis um, and, um, so we, we, it's, it's kind of funny as a marketing organization, we feel good about it, that we're putting that out there. 
the, the downside of it is that after a while, people just don't pay attention to it. And, um, and so what we've, um, what we've sort of done is we've started to do more sort of internal meetings with um, specific groups inside the company. And, and we'll, we'll actually show them, we'll, we'll do what you said. We'll show them, uh, you know, seven minutes of a video before it's done. And, um, and we'll say, hey, what, what, what do you think? Um, and it's great because it gives us that, uh, that sort of immediate feedback that we need before we, we really make something that sucks. <laughs> and just and also, we just don't just don't want anybody like I think just believe in the philosophy of showing your work versus like wondering wondering like what what does that person do all day? I don't ever see them do anything. I think it's just like everybody's got a lot going on. Show you know showing your work is like here here's what I'm working on. And also, it, 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 if it's like if everybody else is working on big stuff for this event, and then somebody in your team is like, and here's here's my random thing, and then it gives you the opportunity to be like, wait, that doesn't match with all this other stuff that we're doing. Um, all right. So Richard, I'm going to ask you uh, a, another cheesy uh, sort of standard uh, question, but it is important one. Um, how do you justify sort of brand awareness programs inside your organization? Oh, brand awareness programs are case by case basis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have to be. I mean, I'm a huge on measurement. Everything has to be measured. Um, so for example, uh, there's something on the, on the table right now for a strategic partnership with um, an organization, a larger organization outside of Pebble Post. And it is a brand awareness piece, um, but then we really had to take a step back and really think about this and say, okay, short-term, what are the pros and cons? Uh, long-term, what are the pros and cons? And what we found is that the long-term, it's gonna find what's gonna be more valuable to us because our competition isn't doing it right now. Uh, and so things like that, we will, it's a case-by-case -case basis, like I said. Um, and if it's gonna benefit us long-term, you know, let's do it, let's give it a try. Uh, and we'll also do a follow-up with customers. So anybody, anybody that we talk to or any customers that we acquire from the launch of that partnership or the campaign or brand awareness uh, program uh, to maybe a year afterwards, we'll talk to customers that were acquired during that time, do a survey and say, hey, like, did you see, did you come across this campaign? Uh, what did you think of it? Think of it. How did you think of Pebble Post prior to the campaign, et cetera, to see if we can quantify it in some way or form. Got it. And while at um, uh, Pebble Post, um, what kind of, um, uh, what kind of, like, I'm just curious, what kind of retention rate are you getting from your customers at this point? Because uh, you, you have a really cool sort of like, you have an old school, new school product. Right. Um, and so I'm kind of curious. It's very high. <laughs> <laughs> customers okay. about it. They, they see value in it and we're able to measure all of their activities. Uh, we can do uh, in-store and online attribution. Got it. And, you know, and Richard, David, yep, go I got for just a quick question, kind of a follow-up on this idea of brand awareness. I'm always curious how, um, you know, in the scaling process, especially around marketing, you're incorporating, supporting your employees' personal brands, right? David's doing a great job talking about radical candor. We're talking about being in the process and giving lay of feedback. But I believe a big part of brand awareness comes through your employees when they're off work. So I'd be curious as part of the brand awareness, not necessarily just from the corporate standpoint, what are you guys doing in particular to support the personal brands as your company grows? Yeah, so we do a lot of internal marketing. Uh, we do it through a lot of our all hands and essentially core marketing acts as the evangelists of the brand. We are the keepers of the Pebble Post brand. And we like to think of ourselves as people that get people very excited. So for example, we had new messaging that was being rolled out um, and we had a really cool uh, fireside chat with some great thought leaders out in the space. We did one with Anthony Suhu of Walmart. Um, we were, we did a couple other ones from like Newstar. We have a lot of stuff happening inside to get people excited. 
Um, they may not be a direct relation to the product itself, but it's association with the brand and people get excited about it. Uh, one of the campaigns we're looking at in the near future is a sustainability campaign. We do consume uh, paper, uh, but we are very thoughtful on how we use that paper, why it's sent out. And again, it goes back to our product, it being relevant but also being relevant to what consumers want now these days. They want, sustainable, they want to buy from sustainable companies and that extends to our customers. They want to work with vendors that are also sustainable as well. Uh, and, and again, internal evangelization really helps with that. Yeah, I like that. People who are getting people excited about all that stuff. And really at the end of the day, getting people excited will translate into them wanting to share. So that's great, thanks. All right, Dave, back to you. <laughs> okay, um, it's, it's actually a really good question. And I'd be curious to hear uh, uh, Dave Gerhardt's thoughts on it as well. You know, how, how do you uh, handle sort of personal brand development inside your organization? Because your company is, is, is all about brand development, I believe. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I think, honestly, it, it's a lot about what Richard said, which is number one, it starts by getting them excited. Um, I actually think there's so much jargon and BS in the whole like employment branding. Like all we're asking people to do is just document. Just take pictures, post them on social media, do the exact same thing you do with your friends and family and kids on the weekends and just do that for work. Uh, I think there's a lot of people making money and, and selling products about like, you know, employee advocacy. That's just like, we don't have any of those tools. We just, <laughs> we just ask people to do it. And to start the number one secret in Geeter is you got to get people excited because if you can't get the people inside of your company excited about it, there's no way in hell the market is going to be excited. And so, you know, we, we take internal marketing very seriously, meaning that I get more nervous to present in front of the company than I do in front of thousands of people speaking on stage because they're the harshest critics. And so I care a lot about that. And the, the great thing is like, if you nail the story, if, so we do this thing called show and tell on Fridays where the whole company shuts down and every team has one person that presents for five minutes, product, engineering, design, sales, marketing, customer success about something that they did that week. And we take that part very seriously because I, I, I want to tell a great story there because then it can be used for other things. And so, for example, like the, the, the week before our book launch, I used the five minutes at show and tell to get the company hyped up about the book launch. And basically, I used the exact words and messaging that was going to be in the launch. And then I walked out of that meeting being like, oh, that really resonated. I know this is going to be successful, right? So part one is be excited, is get them excited. Um, part two is just give them a little nudge to, to, to ask. And so we've just started asking people, hey, it'd be awesome if you made a LinkedIn video to go with this launch. And we don't give them a script because if it's a script, then it becomes gross and feels forced where, hey, you work at this company, you help build this product, you know this inside and out, just make a video of it and, and, and say, say what you think. And so I think we give away a lot of things where a lot of more traditional companies get very nervous about that. Well, you know, what if they say something? And I, my answer to that is the, the, the risk is high just in life today. It's, it's 2019, right? Your, your employees are going to be on every channel. And so if you're worried about whether someone's going to, you know, pitch your product wrong on LinkedIn, like I, I think you have, you have bigger things to worry about. And also I think we care more about directionally is the pitch, right? I don't actually, I'm, I'm never cringing from a brand perspective. If somebody uses the wrong word to explain something in a video, Cause, cause that's not authentic. We want it to be real. We want it to be authentic. We want it to be human. And so we want everybody inside the company to have a personal brand. Um, one last piece before I get back, give this back to you that I want to talk about on this is a lot of people ask the question, yeah, but what happens if you leave drift? What, ha what happens if the people who have now built this and personal brand then leave? And I say, I don't know. 
let's, we'll figure it out when we get there. Because I actually think that's such a limiting mindset is most people who ask that question are afraid to actually go out and do it. And they use that as the excuse. Oh, I haven't, I didn't want Richard to build a personal brand for our, for Pebble Post because I, you know, we're worried about if one day when he leaves, well, <laughs> okay. So you're not going to reap the rewards of like the good stuff now. And you're worried more about that. And so, so I really think that's, we just have the growth, uh, growth mindset about that, which is like, you know, let's deal with that if and when it happens. Uh, otherwise, now I think you know bringing real people to market our brand is the best thing we can do. Let's just lean on it. Yeah, and that's that's an expiring answer for everybody out there who is curious about an employee advocacy. Forget it. Get people excited. Ask them to share and don't script it. Like that. That was it. On point. I love well, it. Because my other the other challenge is like I I've worked at companies where we've used employee advocacy tools and and. They just look like crap because what happens is then you have 200 employees sharing the exact same click to tweet link. And right. it's like, wait, it just becomes noise. It's like, you know, I think the best brands on social media are the brands that actually have stopped using automated social posting because it feels more real and authentic. And so we, we'd rather have 200 people say 200 different things, 200 different ways than have everybody share the same link. Yeah. I'm going to stand up. You can't see me, but I'm standing. <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 that makes so much sense. It's, it's not even funny. And it's, it, what's, uh, what's really interesting too, is like, if you're in the consumer market, the consumer brands are so worried about that. They're, they're more worried about that than the B2B brands. And, um, and they, they really, they feel like, you know, oh, there's only a couple people that have the right to go out and talk about their company. Um, and so, they 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 put these um, they yeah. put these limiters in place, which is so limiting because because yeah. like let's look at let's think about Glassdoor right Glassdoor is basically like the Yelp for businesses right and so yeah. so at those companies nobody is saying like well like you could prevent people from posting on LinkedIn but you can't prevent them on posting on Glassdoor about how they actually feel about your company so our take is like just open it up across all channels you you can maybe stop them here but you can't stop them from once they leave saying something about your company or working at your company and writing a review about it so to to try to stop them now is just seems kind of silly yeah i, I just want you to know dave you got the first standing ovation and the history of this podcast. So yeah, 55 episodes. And that 55, was, the, that was the first I'm one. Gonna, I'm going to, I have a reward for myself. Hold on one second. <laughs> he's got, he's got some sort of reward. He's going to go run around the block doing some sort of excitement. Oh, no, oh, damn. Yeah. Look at that. He's sporting it. <laughs> I have, the, I have the first standing ovation uh, chain. So, so <laughs> thank you. It's been a real honor being here and I will uh, wear this chain the rest of the day. I know Richard and I are both thinking the same thing. We want to know how much it weighs. 25 pounds. I can see. It. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. It's, it's got to be heavy on your shoulders. If you do this, I promise you six weeks of this, you'll have the strongest neck in the business. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. All right. Um, hey, Richard, any, uh, any tips and tricks for us? on uh, growing your, uh, it's, it's, it's funny, Mr. T is in the house. Any, any, any uh, t tips and tricks for us on growing your uh, content marketing strategy? Yeah, um, one of the key things that I found to be very successful is syndicated content through other marketers that uh, trying to achieve the same thing, acquire more customers, build, build loyalty around the brand, um, get followers. You know, when it comes around content, I almost think of us as like a, a publisher, kind of like a, a New York Times or uh, CNN, you know, we're, we're putting relevant stuff out there for people to want to read. And again, it's not talking about the product directly, but again, it's creating awareness around Pebble Post, um, letting people know, hey, we are experts in this field. You should, you should trust us. 
Um, and so doubling down on your SEO strategy and infusing that and have, making sure your SEO person and your content person are working very well together, that's super key. Because I've seen in the past where a lot of content's put out there, but no one reads it. Um, and so th those are just a couple of tips and tricks that I have for my end. And make sure it's relevant. Make sure it's, it's relevant and it's not too self-promotional. Yeah. Uh, how, how about you, Mr. Uh, Mr. T with the chain on and uh, what, what, what about you? What do you got for us on tips yeah, and he, tricks? He's Mr. D, by the way, not Mr. T, Mr. D for Dave. I like that. Mr. D, yeah. What was it? Tips and I got, to, I got lost in the glitter. <laughs> Tip, uh, tips and tricks for uh, growth via content marketing. I, I, so number one, it really, to me, comes down to one word, which is empathy. And I think most marketers don't have it, which is an empathy, meaning like, think about the stuff that gets you to, to, to read and to sit down and to listen and to watch. And I think so often we get caught up, caught in our marketing bubble and we're just like, ah, I got to make blog posts and webinars and emails. Ah, I got to do all this stuff. But like, when's the last time you actually registered for webinars? I don't go to very many of them. We do them all the time at Drift, but I don't go to very many of them. And so I'm always trying to think about like I, everything that I make, I want it to be something that I would like. And, and I, I am also, this is easier in our industry because I am the customer, right? We sell to marketers. It's an easier fit. I would be probably no good at this job if I was, you know, head of marketing at a cybersecurity company, right? Because I, I, I have no idea. But I think it starts with empathy, empathy, which is like, look, if we live in this world, think about I'm a... Uh, I work at a busy company. I got, you know, I got a team with lots of stuff going on. I have a growing family. I got lots of things going on. What are the things that get me to stop in my tracks and actually listen? What are the podcasts I actually listen to? What are the videos I actually watch? What are the YouTube channels I actually subscribe to? And then I try to reverse engineer that stuff into how to create great content. That's tip number one. Tip number two is something that I do a lot on social media, which is I use social media as a testing ground for ideas. And it's not ever very intentional. It's not very scientific, but here's an example. I might post a LinkedIn video or a status update on LinkedIn and it blows up. Well, great. That's gonna, I already know that topic is popular. So that's a topic that I'm gonna go then do a podcast about, or I'm gonna write a blog post about. Like I've already kind of seeded that that idea is gonna be successful. And by the way, if it's not successful, the barrier is so low that, okay, boom, another, it's another day I can write another LinkedIn post or make another video, right? The barrier is so low. So I, I, I you know, I did this, um, you know, like you guys were talking about personal brand. I got this idea from, I wrote down a bunch of things during this, which is I'm gonna make a video tomorrow on LinkedIn about the personal brand topic. I already know that's gonna that video is gonna be successful because it got you guys kind of all fired up about it, right? Then when that video is successful on LinkedIn, I'm gonna go turn that into a podcast, turn that into a blog post. So I think there's so many easy ways to stack the deck from a content perspective today. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know there's so many um, so many ways to test out as you, as you just mentioned, you know whether or not uh, a piece of content is is gonna resonate with an audience. Um, or not, you know, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of times we'll run little, uh, little quick, uh, um, uh, questions, uh, poll questions on, on Twitter and, and you'd be amazed like what the results are. Um, and we can tell based on the topics, what we should go build something, uh, build something on. So, um, if I ever do a, a poll question about my Minnesota Vikings, I get very little response in Southern, in Northern California. So it's obvious. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's obvious to me at that point. Um, Ryan, uh, what do you got for us? I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to you. Yeah, so it started off as a blank piece of paper, and now it looks like this. There was a lot of stuff that was talked about there. So if I were to recap everything in just a high level, 
I think it all comes down to the excitement because not only can you obviously see that Richard and Dave and Dave are excited about what they're doing, but they're focused on how they can translate that excitement internally to their employees, externally to their customers. And one of the first things that Dave talked about was that if you're, if you're trying to wait to figure out what's working, you're too late. So don't wait because you are too late. And the biggest thing you can do is focus on just moving forward and being a, a trailblazer when it comes to marketing. And that comes by sharing the excitement in little bits. I love this idea of meetings where you're sharing seven minutes of your 30 minute video. You have five minutes that you're pitching to your own company before you go out there and pitch it to the real world. And so I, I believe that from a marketing perspective, sometimes we get too much into the weeds, but if you get people excited, you let them own it, you give them honest feedback, and then you show it, um, that seems like something that seems to be working for these gentlemen. And this is what could translate to help you moving the, the needle in your business. So I, I, this has been super exciting. I mean, honestly, the first ever standing O, a 25 uh, pound gold chain, uh, Mr. D, uh, Pac-Man, wood in the background, great insights all around. This is episode number 55, which goes down in the, in the annals of history. All right. So take what you've learned here. And, and if anything, if you watch this, if you see the passion that comes out from these people, you cannot be a successful marketer without being passionate about what you do. So don't be jealous of these guys. Just draft on their on what they're doing and it's okay to enjoy it. Um, have a gold necklace in your office just in case you get excited to throw it around your, your neck, right? Like these guys are living, breathing what they're doing. So uh, Dave, thanks for moderating just a great uh just a great conversation like i'm all jazzed up i want to go do something now <laughs> i love so i love I might... you all but i gotta i gotta jump all yeah, right sounds I'm good guys all right we'll see you everybody adios Bye. thank you